This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! I know what's going on. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Did you see the memo about this? Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. Don't you see what this means? Welcome to episode 36 of Your Missing the Point podcast, where we discuss the weird, the wonderful, and the downright bizarre aspects of life, as we have conversations with people from all over the world. It's been barely a few weeks since tonight's guests and myself got together to discuss Australia's impending referendum on The Voice, but here we are again, with some major developments, both within Victoria and nationally. Let us welcome friends of the show, Stella from Union of the Unknowns podcast, and the banana-bending Great Northern himself, Wade. Stella, Wade, here we go again. Hi there. Hey, Drew. Hey, Wade. Hey, guys. Thanks, Hank. <laughs> no worries, mate. <laughs> so, literally just outside of two weeks almost since the last time we recorded, and I think it was a few minutes after we actually stopped recording the episode, new information came to light of the show, <laughs> yeah. but we didn't even record at the time. But there's been a lot happening with The Voice and a lot of things happening in Victoria lately. And it's it's quite funny how... I didn't think there would be any way that three of us would be getting together within inside of two weeks to discuss some more drastic steps that have happened. It, it It's biggest belief. No, we almost spoke about it and Stella and I said that maybe it'd be closer towards the election, maybe October-ish or maybe late September, but within a fortnight, it's <laughs> this is progressing faster than the two-week news cycle. I think it's only just begun too. Absolutely. Things are going to speed up a little bit. Seems like the gloves are coming off. Oh, big time. Like we discussed in the last show, we know that the the percentages on people who in the polls are voting yes has been dropping dramatically so much that's below 50% of the country. And we spoke about how the only tactic now from the yes campaign is to gaslight people and call them all the ists and isms under the sun. But it's really starting to ramp up in a covert way. We've got those the the tarring and feathering of people and, and labeling them as certain things. But the covert stuff that's happening behind the scenes is almost like their plan B. We're seeing a lot of treaty initiatives happening at a state level and not so much a federal one. So they're almost getting their back door ready so they can implement the voice without the referendum going ahead. That has been threatened. Um, I believe it was maybe the next day after we spoke that, is that when uh, Victoria, the council thing happened with the 10 councils? Oh, sure. Before that, even, um, Victoria signed its first People's Assembly. So Daniel Andrews organised this group of Indigenous Victorians to form an assembly that works on behalf of state parliament. So traditional owners of the land and whatnot, they have a say in what our state does. 
he's using this as a mechanism to bring about a treaty in Victoria. So essentially a lot of people within the no campaign or people who are well read on the subject know that the voice is just the first step in bringing about treaty at a federal level. Well, we can see that that's starting to fall away and that's probably not going to be a reality. So the states are taking it upon themselves to just sign it into effect without actually consulting their constituents of the state. So Dan Andrews has put this through. That was the first major thing. The second one that you alluded to, Stella, was that 10 councils in Victoria have essentially had huge amounts of their rights signed away to traditional owners in what's called the BGLC agreement, which was administered by the Barangi Gunjan Land Council, which covers 10 council areas in Victoria's northwest, Mildura, West Wimmera, Northern Grampians, Southern Grampians, Bullock, Hindmarsh, Pyrenees, Yerambank, Horsham and Ararat in a total land area of 36,000 square kilometres, roughly half the size of Tasmania. On on its face value, the media is talking about this being a means for the Indigenous groups to name streets and to name schools. Seems very fluffy and nice and um, considering the First Nations peoples in the history, but it goes a heck of a lot further than that. Yeah, for sure, mate. It's uh, you know when you guys both sent me that, I'm I, I was I was shocked, but not unsurprised, unfortunately. And uh, you know, like like you said, we're we're seeing these things on the back end that they're going, okay, well the the voice is failing nationally. Let's covertly do it through smaller portions that won't be undone later, but once they're in, right. It doesn't matter if the voice fails. And we see this. There's discussions that David Christofulli and um, Palaszczuk in Queensland here are already working on one in the background. So Christofulli is is no different. And I've seen a lot of Queenslanders this last week calling him out. I'm like, did you not think that this wasn't going to happen, guys? Like, he's trying to buy favour. So what did you think he was going to do? So it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. And for context, this uh, 10 local council area that was signed off to the Burringi Gunjan Land Council, this deal, this was signed in like October and November of last year. It was secretly done without these councils even knowing about it. That's frightening. Yeah, well, what a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what they do, isn't it? They just pass these things in nice and quietly so no one's looking. But, um... but the, the funny thing with that, Stella, and, and exactly what you said, while no one was looking, it's <laughs> if we're sitting there seeing this now, okay, that was done in October last year. What is it that people are just, I don't know, I, I don't care, it's all good. It, well, it's literally too late when this is done without consultation and you actually knowing and having a look at it. Yeah, exactly. What What are people thinking? That that's what I would like to know because there's echo chambers of people everywhere. We sit in some of them, and I'm I'm always asking those people, okay, well, can you tell me why you think that way? At least they have if they have a reason, they can explain it to someone. They can talk that out, and they can come to an understanding of why, not just a no or yes. Yeah, and I think um, there's actually been a lot of things in place a little bit longer than most people realise. Um, wasn't it, uh, what's her name? I'm going to have some trouble with these names. I really haven't got my tongue around Aboriginal names yet, but um, Malandiri 
McCarty, the lady with the big hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, she was saying herself that when the last election went through, that um, the Prime Minister basically said this is this is going to go through, like, no matter what. So it's it's already been intended to go through no matter what. And I do wonder sometimes, are we? Why are we? Why is this referendum even going ahead? Really, because if it's, if they've already got their alternatives in place and they're already dragging the chain, um, that's a lot of money to be wasting, isn't it? No, well, <laughs> it gives the illusion of choice, doesn't it, Stella? Yeah, it makes that, it look like exactly. a, we have a, a running democracy. And as Shakespeare said, the world is a stage, and they're just playing the scenes out as they intended them to be. If this has been in place since prior to the election of Albanese getting into power and even the Victorian case of being October last year. And we were distracted at that point and didn't notice that happening. What's happening now that we're not noticing? That's even more horrifying to think of. Yeah, I did wonder with the um, the WA Heritage Act whether, you know, I mean, that was a big hoo-ha, wasn't it? And I, I just had a feeling when that came through that it was going to be withdrawn and then probably re, you know, softened and then reintroduced as they do. But it's, it was also a massive distraction, wasn't it? Because, I mean, it's just it's sort of aligned and alongside, but at the same time it was a really big distraction, like nicely timed kind of thing, um, because that went through really quickly, didn't it? It was quite quick the way that was passed through, um, kind of took everyone by surprise. And uh, that was around about the time that um, Dan Andrews was doing his 10 councils thing, wasn't it? It is. It's And it's a bit of a... This is my conspiracy hat on again. It's almost like they set that up to fail so that the no vote would get up early. Yeah. Because this came into effect and people were calling out this this WA Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Law a while ago saying these are the things that could happen. These are the implications of what it could have, have on farmers and on landowners. Those people were quickly shot down as conspiracy theorists and racists and bigots and then it eventuated. It took a, a, a country-level news story about not being able to plant trees unless they paid a $2.5 million bribe. And yeah, it, I mean, po- it pointed out the, the hypocrisy and the the levels of corruption that can happen in any body or any group. And it started to get the ball rolling of the no vote nationally of the, the issues it could have. But it surprises me how quickly it came about, Stella. It only lasted 39 days. This whole heritage law lasted 39 days before it was scrapped. Yeah, and you can't tell me that they did not expect such an outcry because those things were just absolutely outrageously, well, let's say it, stupid. (laughs) You know, you can't dig a hole beyond 30 centimetres. I mean, you can't do much of a hole. You can't do much with a hole that's under 30 centimetres or whatever it is, 20 20 kilograms of, of dirt being moved. That's not very much. I mean, that's most people's luggage when they get on a plane. So, well, if you if you look at it from a, a you know a distance perspective, what a great way to dip your toe in the water to see the reaction instantly. You know, thirty nine days is absolutely long enough to put something out that's so ridiculous. You can instantly gauge public backlash within a matter of days. So there there was three rapid news stories. The there was the two million dollar bribe. There was the two tribes fighting over something. Um, and then the highway oh, opening, gonna, yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna, you know, all of a sudden they've got this in, right? Sweet, now we'll get rid of it. Great way of Mission Creek, right? We know what level we can go to before it starts. And here's the here's the absolute yardstick of what's the worst. 
The next one will come from, I believe, which has come from Victoria because that sort of ran out straight afterwards. So that's the next yardstick. Public backlash, I haven't seen anywhere near as big from that, Drew, and that might be from an outside perspective, but that is another yardstick of, I would say, less proportion to what the WA heritage laws were. So what a great way of mission creep. Now, I wonder where the next one comes into, at what level to go, right, we can go to this level and we'll only have 20% backlash, which is that they can live with. Yeah, it's interesting. Sorry, Sal. It's interesting. It's like the uh, what Jordan Peterson says. If you want to force someone to do something, you push them a little bit and then you back off. You push them a little bit more, then you back off. You see how much you can get away with, like you said, Wade, with the mission creep that it's interesting because I think looking at what this Victorian one is with the 10 councils on its value, plus the idea of a treaty coming in, I think it's substantially worse than what Western Australia had. It talks a lot about Indigenous control over bridges and waterways and lakes and streams and um, natural areas such as national forests and the like, which looks on its face value exactly what New Zealand did, Ardern did, with the Maori um, treaties and and power um, handover in New Zealand, which we know has been absolutely horrific for everyone concerned over there. Yeah, yeah that's well, that's, they, sorry, still sorry. you go. No, you go, man. Well, that's that's funny you bring the, the New Zealand stuff up. I have a, a, a New Zealand auntie who her brother still lives over there, and she's going, we really need to stop this. And she was very, you know, very not against the COVID thing but was always asking me a lot of questions about it. So she's obviously thought about things, and she's, from experience, seen what that's done over there, and she's adamant. She said, we really need to stop this. Can you send me all the stuff that you have and I've looked into and it's like, okay, this is interesting. So maybe people are looking at it, but because of the stigma around it, they're frightened to have an open conversation because of being called, you know, a racist or a bigot. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, it's it's just the way they work. It's their playbook is to dip the social thermometer in every now and then just see where it's up to, um, go and reassess invite their think tanks to tea, you know, talk about this stuff. Um, it's it's just part of the playbook. It's it, protocol, <laughs> almost, pretty much. Um, but, yeah, it, I was just reading about the um, NIAA document that was obtained under the Freedom of Information. There's a bit of a bullet point list here. Even. And, yeah, you're, I mean, it does say, uh, there's two or three of them, it's uh, rivers, streams and beaches to be owned by relevant Aboriginal tribes, Um where is it? I just had it a second ago. Uh, basically, that they'll own all, yeah, here we are, over mm, exclusive sovereignty for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people over all land and waters. I mean, it's it all sounds sort of nice to you sort of in your mind, I suppose, in a way you're kind of thinking, oh, you know, these out-of-the-way remote places and stuff. But actually, if they say all, I mean, that, that could cover the, the little gully that's just down the road here. And that, I mean, that's great as long as it doesn't get to a point where are they ever going to get to a point where we're just not allowed to go in there? I mean, I I think I sort of know the answer to that because of the whole agenda, the bigger agenda, but um, with the green spaces. But I was sort of, you know, that I, that feels like a step in that direction. Um, I think they're going to be using the average, the um, Indigenous all over the world for these this green space business. Absolutely. It kind of lends itself to what sovereignty means. It's yeah. sovereignty for 
their own nation. So it would be separate from the Commonwealth of Australia, be separate from the states. And then we know the government has backdoors and power in these bodies under Native Title Act. So they could initiate a a sovereign nation under a certain tribal clan, potentially, now this is theorising and speculating, potentially kick out everyone who's not Indigenous, forcing them to city centres. And what does it create? A giant green belt, which just so happens to coincide with Agenda 2030. Exactly. Yep. And um, Jacinta Price has, you know, been sort of saying that it's it's really not going to help the people, you know, the, the remote people. It's going to really do nothing for them. They're already not being heard. Um, it's not going to change anything there. Um, she's herself, you know, as, a, as an Indigenous woman, is saying there's nobody alive that, you know, is 150 to 200 years old and that there's no reason for us to be paying for what our ancestors did. Um, now, I see a lot of sort of changes with the Aboriginal culture, um, changes that they've made, you know, from their original tribal kind of rules and, and uh, acceptable things, laws, etc. Um, they've made a few changes along the way. Um, so why is this part staying the same? You know what I mean? Um, why is the reparation thing firmly wedged while the rest of their culture is changing? Well, the funny thing about the reparations thing, Stella, and I'll, I'll lead into that in here, like one of the things you were talking about, the... Um, you know, they have control over all waters and lands. And now there's an incident that's happened in Harvey Bay. So Harvey Bay is a very famous place for whale watching in Queensland here. People who have lived on this beachfront for decades are now walking around in the afternoon getting harassed and said to told to get off their land. Now, the, the powers that be that we all talk about, the, the they, are using useful idiots to do their bidding through this scenario, and those useful idiots are still pushing the reparations barrow simply because they want something. They mm-hmm. This is their turn to get something back. Yet what they don't realise, looking past their own pocket, what comes from that? What, what What's the next thing that comes from that? If the reparations happen and we're forced to pay a, a tax or whatever, which is noted throughout all the documents we talk about, Mm-hmm. What happens after that? Because those reparations, I'm not paying. I'm not paying for the guy who lives at Harvey Bay who wants this reparation. It will go to the government. And when Which, has the government ever fucking help? Well, that'll be a separate government too, because they will have their own government. I mean, that's what they want is to be a completely like a black parliament, a black government. Um, and like I was just looking at this this list of things like they're going to get um, water consumption will be charged to non-Aboriginals as per mining royalties on native title, Aboriginals to receive a fixed percentage of all Australian gross national product. And then I started marrying that with the um, the wind turbine scam, etc. That, oh, man, I mean, you start looking at this, this is an incredibly huge amount of money that I can see, you know, the stakes are high. There's There's going to be a big fight because there's so much at stake and it. None of it's real good. <laughs> I think all about money. It's people either they're willfully ignorant or they're not willing to look at it because they're afraid of being gaslit and labeled as something that they think is horrible, but it doesn't take anything above a primary school level of maths to understand an absolute fuckload of money is being squirreled away, sent into certain areas that we can't account for. 
at all. Yeah. There's the energy side of things with the wind, wind turbines we talk, wind turbines we've been speaking about previously. But you throw into that, you have uh, a treaty that goes through and you have to pay reparations. Like you said, Wade, that's not going to go to the people on the land on the in the community. It's going to go to a governing body, which we know would be corrupt. It always happens. It doesn't matter what human capacity or human control is, someone will always exploit it. And, and we're just seeing that at major levels with federal government and they're just filtering it down into smaller bodies. And once that government body gets a hold of that money, the next thing comes. It's, oh, you know, we send a donation to Ukraine or a donation to this or, you know, we'll give $3 billion to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That money is not going to the people. They are literally going to use these useful idiots to take away from the real Indigenous people to further the UN coffers. And and people are not smart enough or they're literally dumb enough to think that it's not going to happen. It's happened throughout our entire history. What makes you think this is going to be any different? Yeah, I feel that um, a lot of the Indigenous don't realise that they're going to be chewed up and spat out at some point. They're just, um, they're tools, they're a way of getting this agenda through and I don't know what's going to happen to them in the end, really, because let's face it, the powers that shouldn't be, are um, they don't care. They don't care about these people. So they'll use them. That's how I feel it's, it's going to happen. They'll just get their green agenda going on. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the... There was a video today, I think it was released, or yesterday, uh, by the, um, there's a historian, what's his name? Australian historian Keith Windshuttle, um, who revealed about, here we go, I'm struggling here, James Galawai Unipingu. Okay. Do you know, you know that guy? You probably would. I'm sure you would. He's, for years and years, he died this year. Um, for years and years, he was, he was chairman of the Northern Land Council in Northern Territory for 25 years. Um, now, so on, the, on the good side, on the systematic side that the public know, he, 70, 1978 Australian of the Year, uh, 1985 made a member of the Order of Australia, 1998 added to the 100 Aussie Living Treasures for his work uh, for the environment, 2015 uh, honorary doctorate for his Indigenous rights work, uh, given a stamp in 2017, it goes on and on. Um, however... The truth about him is um, that his work was basically taking a whole bunch, well, creating, um, helping to create the, oh, what was it? I haven't got it written down. Uh, nuclear, securing the nuclear power station up there, I believe, or scheme or whatever it is. Um, and he basically got a whole bunch of mining royalties from that, made himself a very extremely rich man had a lot of um, push with, like, as an advisor, a government advisor and influencer for decades. Um, he was actually even taken to court by his own people, uh, lost the case because uh, it was ruled that the allegations were false and defamatory and that he wasn't do actually doing anything illegal. But here's what he was doing. Like, he was feathering his own nest, even to the point of just shunning his own brothers and sisters and letting them keep going hungry, basically. He was in charge of an area of 13 clans, and out of those 13 clans, only three of the clans got any of these royalty monies. His own clan got 75%. Uh, another connected tribe, which is sort of to do with his his men sort of meant to marry their women, uh, 25%, and a third clan got half a percent. 
uh, and the rest he just all went to him. Um, he had like four houses, four wives, a pilot on hand to take him by helicopter to the wife of his choice every night. You know, he's just living the high life and not not doing the right thing. So what's to say, you know, that he got away with that for years and got awards for it. And what's to say the same thing isn't going on right now? And we're pretty sure it probably is because then there's the CCP connections with a lot of these people. Well, this brings to mind don't ever get to know your heroes because this man is absolutely a legend for Australian civil rights. He was at the forefront mm-hmm. of a lot of Indigenous rights in Australia. He actually was fundamental in the Native Title Act going through, and this is what he secured a lot of this through. Through the Native Title Act, he was able to allow the mining companies to come in and, and get access to uranium. That's where yeah, his big money right. came from. And like you said, you pointed out, it's, of course, power corrupts and power corrupts absolutely, and mm-hmm. it's happened. And, of course, we know there's bad blood between different Indigenous tribes, just like there's bad blood between European countries. They're going to take that in with their historical context, and it's not going to be divvied up equally. There's going to be people and clans that will be left out or put by the wayside and forgotten about. Yeah, it was said that he used to give out envelopes of money, you know, to different people, and the more he liked you, the thicker your envelope was, and that's sort of how he maintained his power. So everyone was sort of, you know, scrambling to be liked, basically, and doing whatever they want he wanted them to, I guess. But um, that's how he ruled it. So yeah. Shit. So he couldn't even use paper bags. (laughs) (laughs) That would that would be traditional, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's sad gotcha. that that's the case that us three here, we know exactly that is going to happen. It, it happens now. So if anyone thinks that it's not going to happen, you know, history history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. It, it's it's simply someone is going to get that money, and we can point them out now. You've got Noel Pearson, Linda Burney, Thomas Mayo, uh, the, the list goes on. You know, they're propping themselves up to be in that position to get control of that. They will set themselves up with houses, positions, all of that sort of stuff, and then everyone else, the people in Alice Springs, outback Queensland, outback Western Australia, are going to get jack shit. It's just going to create the black elite, really. That's all it does. It's going to have a few select Indigenous people which will control the money, the power, the authority, and just like us, we're the, we're the paupers under the, the white elites of the country. We don't get much from them. And it's the same thing's going to happen with our Indigenous communities. You're absolutely right, Wade. That's a really good way to put it, actually, the black elite. Hmm. Now, this is something that's actually <laughs> really put a bee in my bonnet this week is that, and of course, it's always Sky that comes out with these news stories and actually busts <laughs> the story. No one, not even people on the conservative side, I say, really take Sky News seriously. They've kind of been labelled as, as, cons- <laughs> as the conspiracy theory kind of news station. But it's funny, they mm. always come out, come out with the receipts, which you look into, 100% factual. So the latest one for Victoria is that because the Labor government's currently in power and Daniel Andrews and the Labor government... They are pro-voice, and yes, they can compel state employees, such as myself, anyone that works for a government department, to go and work on behalf of the voice. So if they ask me to, oh, we need you to door knock in your area over this weekend, you do it, or you could potentially lose your job, or you're blacklisted within the department. So we've got the uh, state government 
compelling people's voice, ironically, for this referendum. So it's basically blackmail. Absolutely it is. And we know that Daniel Andrews is quite good at blackmail when it comes to people's jobs, so he's just rolling with it now. Hang on, you said said Victoria. Yes. Sorry, I thought you said China. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's southern China, but you're right. Um, I was having a conversation with my father-in-law today, and he said, well, you know what you do, don't you? And I said, not do it. He goes, no, 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 you do it. You just Mm. hand out no pamphlets. What are they to know who you're handing out? Or your door knock, and you go, hey, listen, I've been threatened with my job for this voice thing. I think it's the biggest load of shit, and here's a whole list of reasons why. Please vote no. Yeah. Because yeah, take, they- take your own pamphlets. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. but, but we're at a state where, and it's the absolute state of Victoria, <laughs> that we've got thought and speech being compelled to a level that I wouldn't have thought was possible five, six years ago. What police, mate? Mighty George. That is it. That is it. Well, have you... I'm sorry. You're all right, Stel. Did you want to finish something? I, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm, on the door knockers, I'm actually quite disappointed. I didn't have anyone on the weekend. I was I was home, you know, I was, I was doing some stuff around the house. I was waiting for my footy team to kick off, and I said to the wife, I said, I'm really excited today and she said why so well all these door knockers are supposed to be coming i'm, I'm really <laughs> excited and i've got cameras out the front that record and i'm like i'm really excited to have a chat with these people she's going oh make sure you record it so i can watch it later <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have any door knockers and i'm like and someone said oh what are you gonna get into a fight I said, no, no, i'm just gonna ask my host of questions that they won't be able to answer mm. yeah it's and sort I'm, of like do you do you have a conversation with the jehovah's witnesses or not I have a different take on that, and I can go into that later. And it's oh quite... no, I just meant like as a comparison. Like, do you yeah. engage or not? You just say, okay, thanks. <laughs> well, well, I'll I'll give you a bit of a, a funny story, right? Now that we're on off topic about Jehovah's Witnesses, but anyway, <laughs> when I lived with my parents um, in my early twenties, Jehovah's Witnesses would come around all the time, and my dad used to do the nice thing, buy like the fifty cent little pamphlet off them or whatever, and say, "Hi, nice to meet you, and goodbye." Well, they came around one day when I was home by myself, and this is a point when I was heavily into the UFO alien field of things, and I questioned them a lot about God potentially being an alien and the ancient astronaut theory and all this type of stuff, (laughs) and then they wouldn't stop coming to the house after that. They kept coming around, and Dad messaged me one day and said, you've bloody put a bee in their bonnet, and they won't leave the house alone now. Thanks a lot. (laughs) (laughs) They do like conversations. It's fine. I've moved on from that kind of UFO alien thing since then, but- Interesting nonetheless. And you've mate, moved out, so now your dad has to deal with them. <laughs> yeah, that's his problem now, not mine. Mate, I, I had a couple of our regular, uh, the town I grew up in was was a town of about 5,000 people. I used to come regularly and we knew them all. And one of my favourite songs when I was younger was a song by a white zombie called Supercharger Heaven. And if anyone knows the chorus, it's Devil Man and it's Rob Zombie screaming at the top of his lungs. So he used to wait and wait. Yep, here they'd come and press play. <laughs> and the younger kids that were with them were just, oh, no, and the older people just, oh, here we go, and off they go. I did it twice, and that was the end of it. <laughs> so it worked out well. So that, that, was my, that was my trick, and it hasn't failed me yet. Well, it brings us back to the, for the voice and the yes campaign. 
Do you honestly think they're going to door knock in areas they know aren't going to statistically vote yes, or are they just door knocking in the inner city and giving themselves a little pat in the back when it's just a, an echo chamber? Yeah, I think, um, I think you're spot on. Yeah, because I've yet to hear from anyone that's had a door knock that's in a regional area as yet. We see all the news stories, and they're literally in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, which we know they're going to be, or Sydney, or or Perth, or where have you, and. It's really interesting that every single one of them's a white fella. <laughs> I wonder if that's voluntary. Grifter, Grifter mate. Grifter. Mm. But not even not even openly saying I'm indigenous. It's they're just literal self-confessed white fellas all campaigning for it. Which kind of brings back to the the same point I always come up with this voice. Should white fellas be having a say in a referendum that only affects indigenous people for their so-called voice? It should be a uh, a thing that all the nations vote on first before we decide whether we go to a referendum. Yeah, well, that's yep. a good point. I mean, if it's going to be their own government, then let them do their own voting. I guess I don't know. I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I no personally, opinion. I don't think I don't think that would get up <laughs> because they to do that, um, you know, they would have to go and canvas all Indigenous people across Australia, which they would yeah. not do to start with. They would go with the inner city left Indigenous. Um, yeah. they're not go to Outback. yeah, they're not going to go to Outback Alice. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to go yeah. to Yarrabah, North Queensland. You know, they're not going to go to these places because these guys will literally just, you know, I don't give a fuck, fuck off. Well, and we know Indigenous people in their own culture, they have a different conceptual understanding of time. That's why there's things called walkabout. If they said we wanted to get a a vote on every clan in Australia by October within Aboriginal timeframes, that could be three or four years away by the yeah, time they exactly. got around to it. By the time everyone gets back from their walkabout, I mean, you know. And, and that's not that's not pointing out that they're lazy. It's just they've got a different understanding of time and how time plays out. Well, you so get, it, you get it, Torres, Strait, Torres Strait people. Mm-hmm. Oh, kids, you, you're late. I used to play football with a lot of Torres Strait people and, Wait, training starts at six. I want to go home on time. Yeah, island time. Wait, at island time. Oh, right. <laughs> yep. And it was it was all a joke because they just they'll get there they'll get there when they're ready because they got things to do and it was always it was always funny and a joke because we we all knew and we just used to joke about it together as friends. Yeah, well, I mean they're not really on a timetable or a time schedule like us dumb Westerners are. <laughs> been forced into this unnatural life haven't we yeah. um did have you have you guys seen the um i'm sure you have the whole thing about the prime minister saying that the statement of the heart is the one a4 page mm-hmm. uh, were you going to talk about that drew well yes what now this is the interesting part before peter credlin who was the person who courageously found this under freedom information request and and told it to the world <laughs> wade actually sent this to me like four or five days before it actually became national headlines, the document that's been spoken about. How did you get hold of it, Wade? Well, it was uh, after our um, recorded session last week. That was what the document I was talking to you guys about. So I've got this document. It's 112 pages long. And in amongst it has these items. Now, I, I hadn't read it completely because 112 pages. Mm, it's oh, pretty. Oh. I did look at it. It's pretty... Um... Involved. But when, when we finished, hey, listen, I've got this thing here. It's very interesting, and it's from 2017-2016. So I emailed it, and I, I think your email bounced for some reason, Stella, my fat fingers or whatever. And then it come up, and I'm like, I messaged Drew. I said, hey, this is what I sent you the other day. 
And we went through it. Yeah, it was. It was the thing that Peter Credlin had broken and someone had got from a foyer. Yeah. You know, I did it a week before she did. Yeah, so the 26... I want credit for it, but it was out there. The 26 pages of the Uluru Statement of the Heart that's in full were in that that document. So this document lends credence to this has been a long time coming. We know that Agenda 2030, the plans for that started around 2006 to be implemented um, and start by 2016 going forward. So this is happening. This document comes out. They're laying the framework to build a Uluru Statement from the Heart, which was like a almost like a declaration of independence for, the, for Indigenous Australians, for the international listeners, where local tribes and mobs got together to sign a document. They they wanted to push for a treaty, essentially, and they wanted to be recognised as a people. Yeah, all cool, yeah, fine, whatever. But it's been constantly played as it's a single A4 document. Now, lovely Albanese says, it's really simple. I read it every day. It's up on my wall. It's on the fridge. I give it a read each day. It's... It's an, a modest, modest acceptance of our first people, and I read it every day, and it, it motivates me. Yeah, well, and I think wasn't he getting a bit? Points. Wasn't he getting a bit lip quivery around when he was oh, saying that? Oh yeah, too? and, and he, he got the, the <laughs> fake tears out and everything. Not but yeah. but it's it's the it's the dot points, and it's the the broken down dot points that lack the detail. Also, so if you read this whole document, it is entirely about pushing treaty. And what have we heard from Albanese for the past twelve months? It's not about treaty. Mm-hmm. Well, you you look at that document as itself, and let's just take the twenty six pages out of that hundred and twelve, whatever it is. If you were to look at that as a sales document, the when you get a sales document or a quote from someone for something, first two pages are generally who we are, what we do, why we're great. And the second page is generally, you know, costs involved. Here it is after that. Every page after that are terms and conditions. This is no different. The, the Uluru statement from the heart or whatever it's called, that, that one-page document he refers to, there's your who we are, why we're so good. And they sell it based on an emotional impact. Then, okay, well, then come the terms and conditions. So no, none of those politicians want you to hear about every document after that of the dot points of the ter- of the T's and C's that come with it. That's why they're trying to defer us from reading those following 25 pages. Because if you don't know your T's and C's, well, good to go. We can do whatever we want. Well, it's just the company directive public um, perception, isn't it? It's mm. This is, we are Coles or we are Woolworths and this is what we stand for. It's got all the niceties and the little buzzwords in it, but it doesn't actually have any substance to it. Absolutely. Yeah, I was watching uh, Malcolm Roberts trying to sort of call out Prime Minister um, and he ended up using the, the terrible word, like, you know, calling the Prime Minister a name, like basically <laughs> saying he's a lie. He told a lie, and uh, which he did. <laughs> he did. He's been standing up saying, no, it's just this one A4 page. Um, Malcolm Roberts tried to call him out and... All they were interested in was um, objecting to the fact that he was using the word lie. And so he said, all right, I retract that statement and kept on going. And then he said, oh, well, in my opinion, it sounds like a lie. And, of course, then he got pulled up again. You used that word. It's like, oh, semantics. So then he, he just goes, all right, well, these mistruths. 
And so he managed to get away with that. And it's like, oh, that's really, are we, are we there? <laughs> it's petty. Like, let's stick to the actual fact that there's been a massive con job going on and someone's been calling him out. But that's the thing. Do you honestly think there's people out there who are so dogmatic in their views that they don't think politicians lie at all? That they their team, their in-team preference for Labor or Liberal or Greens or whoever it is, they honestly think they've never lied, lied and they don't lie? And what kind of cognitive dissidence do they come across when the evidence is there? Here's the receipts. It's a literal 26-page document. He clearly lied. He's been caught lying multiple times. There's comparative videos next to each other. This is not about a treaty, never about a treaty. Last election, oh, we're, we're moving for treaty in full. It's literally yep. there. It's like the history books don't lie. The internet's forever. It's well, here and people are seeing it yet. They're so dogmatic in their views that they're saying that it's spin doctoring and it's mislabeling and using words that aren't quite accurate. Well, I think a lot of that regard, um, you know, those guys, when you say, are they, you know, the cognitive dissonance, a lot of that comes back to if you meet some of those people who are so deep into their political uh, affiliation with, a, a, you know, a party, it's got nothing to do with about anything than just keep deferring it, deferring it, and deferring it until your side is right under what you believe is right. And it's not about being right. It's about them winning their preference. They actually don't give a shit about the details. It's, oh, we won the election. Yeah, but you fucked everyone over in the process, including yourself. <laughs> like, do you not realise that? And those people exist, and there's fucking thousands of them. And, and they're, ironically, they're usually the people that would leave a capital city because they've slit their own throats, metaphorically speaking. They leave the big cities, go to regional areas, and then they keep voting for the same stuff that made them leave. <laughs> America's yeah. synonymous for it. Californians are going California. all over the country. Well, that's the definition of insanity, isn't it? So it just says there's a lot of insane people around. <laughs> but, um, I mean, like, these people... It's it's like psychological ping pong because, you know, Jacinda Price and, and Peter Credlin are, are saying, um, you know, that they were confirmed. Um, uh, what's her name? Jacinda Price was saying at, you know, 12.30 this afternoon or whatever it was, the FOI people rang and confirmed, yes, it is a 26-page document. And then later on, there's the other side turning around going, the NIAA, which is the National Indigenous Australians Agency, uh, have confirmed that it is indeed one page A4 document. <laughs> so it's like these these people who just have small brain cells that they don't exercise very often are just going, I don't know. Um, what do you reckon? You know, and they'll they'll be listening to their church leaders or their neighbour who is only saying what they want to hear. You know, they're just they're still not going to think about it. They're still not going to look at the other side because it's just too hard. Or I mean, you can't really blame a lot of people. This is all pretty. It's getting very involved by design, I guess. Um, it's kind of boring to a lot of people. It's it's very involved. It's very people are very of the oh someone else will deal with it type thing. Mm. We'll be we'll be right. So yeah, I don't well, it's, know. It's, it's confirmation bias, isn't it, Stella? That we've got this the freedom yeah. of information request has been proven that yes, it is full twenty six pages. The pe these people, they didn't like that. They didn't like that answer. They don't like seeing the receipts and the evidence. So they go to someone they can get what they want to hear from. No, it is an A4 document. But then if you go through a, a fact checker application to this, it is an A4 document. 
that is only the dot points of the agenda. So they're not lying, essentially. They're mm. just obfuscating key information and then claiming it as fact. The dot points that are, are surrounded by a border of dot paintings. It's very interesting, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Um, but, yeah, but I mean, they hear... That painting that was signed off with nothing written in the middle firsthand. Yes. Yeah, on yeah. it first and then let's just write it in later. Yep. And now it's been turned into a nice poster, which they're probably selling. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, yeah it, it's... It's a funny one, and I agree with you, Stella. Like, you can't really blame a lot of these people because, you know, everyone's having their own hard time dealing with something at the minute. You know, yeah. there's a lot of people, and, and Drew, we've spoken about the the coming financial shit that that we know of that is going to come. Um, so people are worried about that when oh, the voice oh, really. Oh, I've just got to try and put food on the table for my family right at the minute. So this is furthest from their mind. And I find people are now actually having more conversations with other people. Hey, listen, I don't know a lot about this. Have you looked into it? Mm. And I find like I've had my mum and dad over the last couple of weeks say, hey, listen, we know you do a lot of this research. What can you tell us? Like, Excellent. Oh, you didn't want to know anything about COVID, but mm. now they go, well, you proved everything that you were telling us was right. We didn't listen, so we probably should this time. Okay, so not a problem. And then it's but but what what you get a lot of people are doing is they will go on the attack to those people that this is why you got to do this and I'm all you have to do is say look this is what is doing this guy's telling you this this guy's telling you this these documents exist and I can show you where to find them do you think this is a good idea what they're doing and when you present some facts in a vague format say here's the documents these exist what people are telling you doesn't do you think that's a good idea and the first response that my mum gave was, oh, that doesn't sound very good. Well, generally, if that's the case, it isn't. Yeah, most of those people are, are going to hear the side that says, oh, no, it's only one page, and they're just naturally going to drift towards that because it is simple, it's doable. Oh, yeah, maybe I could read one page, and they probably won't even do that. So if they were to acknowledge that, oh, it is a 26-page document, that's sort of makes them accountable, if sort of, to sit down and kind of actually pay attention and read it, which is just all too hard, isn't it? It's much easier to just turn Netflix on. <laughs> so, well, Yeah, well, that that's Stella, that's probably the best point is if it's more than one page, people aren't going to read it. You know, if it's 26 pages. Very few people will, yeah. Oh, and yeah. those who do actually read it, there'll be less who even fully comprehend it and understand it because it is very involved. Well, it, it leads me to another document that I, I show everyone. It's the, the, the UN drip document that when you start telling people, say, guys, when you look further into us, this is actually part of a UN agenda. Yep. Oh, that's bullshit. And I said, okay, so you're telling me the UN drip document doesn't exist. Are you, is that what you're saying to me? So these are the questions that I pose to people is, is, so you're telling me that the document that I've seen and read, it doesn't exist because if it does <laughs> exist, you're actually telling a lie against what I've told you. Like, so, well, you know, I don't know if it exists. Well, why did you fob it off? Like, mm. I've seen it. I can show you where to get it. And it's a fucking dangerous document. Yep. Is that uh, like the 10-point plan it's, or something? I think it's 35-point plan. It's not right. a lot of pages. So people can read that in the space of 5, 10 minutes. And specifically point twenty seven, twenty eight, which I don't have it in front of me, reads about giving the land back to 
each country's indigenous population. To bring yeah, about the like green a... belts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the, as I said, they, I just feel like these people are going to be chewed up and spat out eventually. Um, I, I, I just, it's beyond me. I can't quite grasp. Can someone please explain to me how these Indigenous people can do this to their own people, let alone the rest of Australia? But I don't know. I, I guess, as you said earlier, Drew, that corruption sort of is at all levels. But I don't know. I just I feel like Indigenous people have more of a, a closer connection with each other than us whiteies, you know, <laughs> um, or the Western world, let's say. I just, it's beyond my comprehension how they can do it and still face the public day after day in front of the cameras, you know. I don't know. I just don't get it. Well, Stella, let, let me ask you this on the back of that. Do, do you think that all of the wedges that we've seen driven amongst all of us through society, the easiest one to drive amongst people is between, the, you know, ourselves, the you know, the wasps? is that that's the easiest one to drive between because a a lot of us tend to, we just want to look after our family. The hardest one to crack is the Indigenous tribes against each other because they're so ingrained altogether. That's been probably going for a long time and now they've got to a point where, okay, greed is now ready to take its place. uh, that's, That's my theory on it. But, Maybe I'm just romanticizing them. I don't know. Mm, just yeah, I think that's I think that's been it's not that and that's the problem. The romanticizing of indigenous culture, it has elements of truth in it. It absolutely does. These people lived here potentially for sixty, sixty-five thousand years. Was it a completely harmonious uh nature by which they lived? Probably not. Um we know that megafauna died off in this country. It could have been an act of climate change at that time, but also most likely like with other continents around the world was probably due to overhunting. Megafauna no longer exists for a reason. Rhino sized Mm. wombats would have been a pretty good meal to get to as were giant kangaroos, big, slow animals of a time period that quickly aged out and were hunted by humans. It happens. I think that the socialist Marxist ideas that we see through these are UN plans it personifies and romanticizes these indigenous peoples and kind of pushes that nature um, religion kind of aspect where we put nature and the environment above all else and everything else. And they just fall into it. I don't want to say useful idiots because there's a lot of very intelligent indigenous people out there. A lot of them I'm friends with and I work with, but on the whole, I think the idea of the, the Aboriginal that lives harmoniously in nature with the land has been blown out of proportion from what it really was. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, hard to know because none of us were there sort of taking notes, but um, I mean, there, there must've been tribal warfare and competition going on. So yeah, it's, it's hard to know. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that Stella, because none of the indigenous now were there to tell us. Mm-hmm. You know, like, how corrupt can that storyline become that, you know, even our Indigenous populations today, you know, it's quite easy to corrupt storylines from from history gone by. So the possibility that their history has been, you know, taken over and, you know, fabled and lied to by whoever is a very real possibility. 
Mate, yeah. the, fishing, the, the fishing story analogy is a good one. I went out fishing and I caught a fish that was this big. Next mm. person I tell, I caught a fish and it was this big and I had an mm. extra three feet to it. What happens over 65,000 years of storytelling? <laughs> yeah, because it's all oral tradition. Oral tradition. And we know that books and texts can also be manipulated. Yes, I'm not naive. But it has a bit more of a, a solid base and a foundation to go to because you can cross-reference multiple documents to find the truth. In an oral language, you're really stuck with what they say is gospel yeah. or whoever's telling the story, rather. I mean, you could even, do I dare go here? Okay, I will. Um, <laughs> there's like rock paintings, rock whatever, that's their history, that's their records. I mean, even that can be, you know, that can be added to over the years. That can be, I suppose, it's a sort of a censorship maybe even mm-hmm. between like maybe some tribes don't want to have that particular victory by that other tribe recorded on that wall. I don't know. I mean, that's, I'm really showing my ignorance here, but um, that's possible, isn't it? I but mean, ha- there could be record changing even when it comes to things like rock paintings. I don't know. That's the <laughs> records. Hey, we saw it in Iraq recently with the Taliban knocking down all the ancient temples and statues of gods that weren't Allah. Yeah, right. So, well, so what's to say that a tribe, um, a nation moved into an area because they were um, competing for resources that were scarce and the easiest way to wipe out their the, the opposition was to destroy their their cave paintings or change it? Burn their books, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember being in Egypt and seeing a lot of the um, hieroglyphics and car- wall carvings and things. I, I mean, the Coptics came through and they carved a lot of them off, you know, chipped a lot of that off. So it's a real shame to look at, but also that in itself was part of history. So, yeah. Oh, here, here's that confirmation bias I was talking about. Sorry, I just got a no, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter notification as we're speaking on the show. Good. Um, not me. Not from you, actually, ironically, even though you're on my feed about 50 times a day, which is nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, I made a comment to, in response to someone saying that the, the no campaign is purely based on racism and hatred. And my response to that was uh, bold strategy, strategy trying to get the yes vote up, name, call, gaslight and label others as racist. I wonder if this strategy will pay off. This person called me a bot and then said, it's an A4 document. It's not 26 pages. And my response was, um, you really don't live in reality, do you? Question mark. And their response back was, it's a better place than your reality. Hmm. Could be an AI response. <laughs> I'd, I'd say so. I would not be surprised if it's a, a real person, though, because objectively we do live in different realities, don't we? Yes, there's been a fork in the road, and we're we're on this side, and they're on that side. It seems... that hurts my brain. That shit. <laughs> you know, the, the the first thing to go to is you're a bot. Yeah, like, really? Like, I got called a bot one day, and I'm like, Have you seen shit on my feed? No bot would swear as much as I do. <laughs> I'm no not way. a bot because I pass the capture test fifty percent of the time. <laughs> it just depends on where the bicycles are sitting because you have well, to hit the, the half boxes. Wheel. The half wheel, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the half wheel gets everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but and, but you know what? Like it's it's those people, Drew, that don't want to have a legitimate conversation about. Not willing you know, to. It, it's a one-page document. Okay, well that's great. But can you just can, would you mind showing me in this twenty-six-page document where it is? Oh, you fucking bot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm looking at you know some of these things. They, the the bullet points. Um, 
Things like, uh, okay, so if this all goes through, all new liquor licenses to be vetted by The Voice. And that, that's kind of ambiguous. Oh, like, shit. Does that mean for their own people? No, or in does general. does that mean for everybody? Well, it doesn't really specify. Well, it doesn't specify, but my, my inclination would be because Indigenous people are um, largely percentage-wise disproportionate to the rest of society as being... Um, at risk of alcoholism and alcohol-related health effects. So naturally, if they have control of that for everyone, their people will be safer. Is that kind of the way they kind of try and yep. manipulate that? Health I'm just going to do it. Homebrew for the win. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Banana bender beer. You can buy it at your <laughs> local grog shop. <laughs> oh my! But yeah, it, some some of those things are just uh, brutally ridiculous. And you look at them, and there was a, and a, I'm trying to think of it. It was on my Twitter. I think I sent it to you today, Drew. The, there was a, and a section of area that was, yep, you're no longer allowed to go unless you get a written approval from the traditional tribe of this area. And I'm like, that's a fucking populated beach. Mm. Like, if, if this is happening now, just imagine. Mm. That's what they say, you know, if this this is what's happening now. Imagine what it's going to be like after The Voice. And, um, I mean, Jacinta Price herself points out the fact that it is it's going to create two classes of Australians. So it'll be the the ones with the ancestral roots and the other ones whose roots only go back to 1788. And, I mean, there's, there's going to be massive division. There already is. <laughs> there already is. But worse. just imagine, yeah, mm. and it's going to be really hard to bridge bridge that like to bring it back to any kind of unity because that's why we can't let this happen because mm. once it goes through that's that's it we can't it's no turning back really it's just going to keep going forward and forward and forward and the timing of this couldn't be any better like we've discussed outside the show Wade we know that there's from our sources there's massive hard hitting economic times ahead in our near future things that are going to happen we know people are struggling now just with interest rate rises but things are happening at a, a unprecedented level that coincides with this. If you throw in on top of that, that you've got a racial group, which you have to pay a, essentially it's like a dowry or a tax to rent for where rent, where you live, right? That's going to make people who in the past wouldn't have had a racist bone in their body think a certain way. And that's exactly. very dangerous, very dangerous. That's yeah. what they want though. They, you know, they, TM. The elusive they. Yep. It's that, and, you know, that's exactly right. Like, you will have the the people, you know, I will be sitting here and I won't be having a go at, at, at the Indigenous people, but Jesus Christ, I'll be having a shot at the government. Probably shouldn't say that too much, but you know what I mean? Like, the... the Not that the, exact the, terminology anyway. I don't even own a pew pew or know how to use one, so... <laughs> I think but, you meant like a, a pool cue, didn't you? That kind of yeah, show. Yeah. yeah. You give them a verbal tongue lashing. There we yeah. go. Oh, and I'm good at that. Good at that. Call them names like liar. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that word, Stella. Come on. Mistruth. Yeah. Misinformation. That's it. That's it. <laughs> but but the, the, the thing will be is you'll have, you know, Stella and Drew, you, you pointed it out beautifully, is you'll have people that have never, ever had an issue with Indigenous or First Nations people all of a sudden going, oh, I hate them. It's like, whoa, dude, where did that come from? They're not the ones that did this. But they, but those people won't be able to also look past that to, 
the people that actually did it, that they'll never be able to get past that. And that becomes very dangerous. Yeah, it's just creating the us and them mindset, that mentality, mm-hmm. which, you know, I mean, it's hard not to have because the what if then if the government aren't for us, basically they're against us. It's there's no in between really, is there? There's not, oh, we'll sort of kind of semi look after you. But it doesn't matter what they do, there's always something in it for them. And it's all just virtue signaling. Um, it's they, they give just enough to keep us quiet keep us down it's like all oh, the native <laughs> i shouldn't say that i was going to say the natives are getting restless like a, a you know a quote but i shouldn't probably say this in this <laughs> why are they getting restless yeah the people are getting restless so you know we'll we'll just chuck them um i don't know what can we chuck them a two percent wage rise or a little bit extra in the you know center link whatever five hundred dollars for electricity bills I yeah or he, here's another 1200 bucks to have another baby um, so we have another slave in society, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just like throw, throw just enough to keep us down, keep us and just stir us up enough to keep us fighting amongst ourselves. It's just the same old, same old, isn't it? Same old tactic. It is. It's particularly scary in Victoria. And I, I just don't know how I haven't left the state, but I can't because I actually love my hometown and love my area so much that so it never would. But a lot of the dots are really starting to form quite a scary picture that, we're seeing things like Daniel Andrews announced a gas ban on all brand new houses and government buildings as of 2024. So essentially he's cornering the market for the SEC, which is a state-owned electrical company, which is entirely run off renewables. And he's essentially trying to push out the competitor, which is gas. Throw in on top of that, he's shot his biggest voting base in the foot recently. Teachers, on the whole, 98% of teachers, those that work in the Department of Education, vote Labor. It's always been the case. Big union group, always Labor. What's he done recently? He sacked 300 teachers who work in disability schools. So disabled schools, the most high-need places with people who only go into that job because they have a genuine love (laughs) and need to be in that field have been sacked. And now we're going to see the flow-on effects from that. If these schools can't be physically manned and have enough teachers in the classrooms, they're going to shut the schools down. And these kids who have higher needs are going to be pushed into the public system, which is already stretched. Then you're going to see stress. Then you're going to see anguish. Then you're going to see worry. You're going to see people have desperation about their day-to-day life and where their kids are getting educated and, and what they're encountering. Throw on top of that, here's your land tax from the local tribe. Not looking good. He is such a sleazy, slimy snake, that guy. God and the devil himself couldn't create a more sleazy creature. But um these poor you know, these poor people are just they've they're being hit by the energy bills increases because of this ridiculous green uh, energy rubbish, which I mean, let's look at Sweden. They've just decided to not go ahead with all this turbine rubbish because they realise what it's about. Um, that it's just a big scam, big money-making scam for a few in-between public, uh, private people, and most of their money is probably going out of the country as well, like it is here. Um, uh, 40 to 60 billion is going to be leaving Australia because of these subsidies for these ridiculous turbines that don't even work, and the time, the very small amount of time that they actually are generating power, it's so unstable 
that when it goes back into the grid, it has to have assistance to make it stable, which is coal powered, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, or, d- none or diesel. Of, yeah. yeah, none of <laughs> none of them work, and then you need then, power then corrections back the units, which aren't cheap and uh, uh, very. That's the word I'm looking for. Inefficient. Very, or... No power correct power correction units are actually um, that's how you make um, power efficient. Yep, but the they're very in depth, so the t- the technology isn't super great as yet. They're out there, and there's a number of companies that do them, but they're not at scale. They're simply not at scale to what it would be required. And isn't then it, you've sorry, sorry, sorry. isn't okay. it the irony that they're building all these wind turbines for renewable energy because it's clean, but at the same time they're clear felling trees, which are the the natural carbon absorbing method. And we see scientists actually thinking about how can we create carbon capture technology? It exists. It has roots and leaves. It's a tree. And you're cutting it down. Yeah, that too. But Scotland recently cut down 10 million trees Mm. for its wind power. Mm, No, it's just so ironic. And um, one of my friends in the Union of the Unknowns podcast, um, Terry, uh, gave me a – pointed out an article the other day about uh, the blades – of wind turbines, I don't think it's like everywhere, but a certain part of the world, I guess, use um, balsa, balsa wood for their blades. And the balsa is actually like being so over harvested in the Amazon that it's just, it's just raping the environment. And this is the stuff, these are the little details. I mean, the devil's in the details. And these are the details that, you know, are never on the mainstream news, are they? Um, unless something is just you can't hide anymore, and then of course they all jump on it like they've discovered it. Mm. Um, but it's the irony of these ridiculous environmental things. There is nothing environmental about any of it. The wind turbines, the solar panels, the EV batteries, nothing of it is working. And can't people figure out things like you have to plug in an EV car to electricity to repower the car? Uh, What's where's the bit that they're missing? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Do you know how much solar is required to, to solar charge a car? I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> it's it's not not what's on your house. Yeah, right. It's, it's more. It, it's mm. so much more. So you even have there's companies throughout Australia at the moment doing uh, solar charging stations. Now on this solar charging station, you park your car. There's two or three charging points. They have solar that's built basically the same as what you would put on your house. But to go alongside that, there's a diesel generator on the system. Mm-hmm. That right, generator diesel. Okay. running for one hour pumps out more diesel than anything that solar offsets. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's insanity. And yet so much money is being made. Like, it's insane. Um, that lady, what's her name? Um, Alex Nichols. The lady that's brought out the she's um yeah she's just exposing the turbine industry basically a former liberal uh, policy advisor for a yeah senator. for yep. Fremantle in WA um yeah she looks like a real sweetie anyway she's bringing out this amazing information and just waking a lot of people up because it's gone very viral um but the subsidies like these in between companies they they will go to a farmer and say okay well we will 
basically lease your land or give you part of this subsidy, which is about $12,000, um, which has now been upped apparently to about 30000 But this company that approached the farmers, who also are liable for any kind of damage and maintenance of each turbine, um, these companies are getting between six and 900000 per turbine and giving the farmers between twelve and 30000 that's insane per turbine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even fathom that much money. And Which, they're going to be putting in these huge turbines everywhere, like stacks them offshore as well. It, it's dangerous in the, that same effect. If you are getting, say, the maximum $30,000 per turbine and one of these companies approaches you as a farmer and you're in a hard farming zone that's generally dry, you have to put out feed, you have to spend money on feed, you have to put water out, like real hard work farming. If you put in, say, eight, nine, ten of these, you could live quite comfortably off that and not have to farm anymore. Yeah, well, that, that point has been raised. You just, yeah, go and sip cocktails and watch your turbines turn around, hope they don't fall down and catch a light and then um, burn down your neighbour's house. And make well. you liable for it. Yep. Yeah, well, there's there's a, a wind farm that I drive through regularly uh, on my way out to our, our workshop in central Queensland that if any of that falls over and catches fire, there's no green grass around. It will it will go up like wildfire, and if it catches and goes, mate, that area is hundreds of thousands of square kilometres that could catch a light. And oof, goodbye. Mm. Okay, let's let's connect some dots. Let's do a Venn diagram. Yeah, we better right get now. back. To <laughs> but but it's okay. It's on topic though. Let's say the voice gets up. It happens. Treaties happen. For the longest time, we've had that romanticised idea that Indigenous lands and traditional places, it's wild, vast, untamed wilderness, which is fantastic because we all like to experience that on bushwalks and hikes and and what have you. But what happens when sovereignty gets ceded to First Nations groups and then they tap into that that payment of $30,000 a year per wind turbine? What's to stop them from popping... 60, 70, 80, 100 plus turbines in a traditional area that was once protected that is no longer protected under Commonwealth law because it's a sovereign state. What's to stop the the criminality and the corruption of people high up destroying the land that they set that the left and the socialists for so long have been saying has been kept beautiful and maintained by First Nations? What happens when the First Nations destroy it themselves? or the people that manipulate them do. Mm. That's a good point because if you if you you think of that some of those uh, Fraser Island what's to stop them building a wind farm on there and running underground cable like they do from Victoria to Tasmania to the mainland all of a sudden all of that hoorah about giving Fraser Island back to the indigenous while well, that island's now destroyed because you'd have to clear that whole island for a wind farm. Yep, but or... um, they probably do the the sums with a calculator and go, well, tourism versus turbines, turbines win. Mm. Yeah, but they sure. obfuscate the idea that what they've been banging on about for the green agenda has just been been wiped out. It's the same thing with the strip mining <laughs> of the uranium, which happened Crazy. in Indigenous communities under their watch. Well, mate, you, you get the people to do the work for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, and... um. The other thing is all these, you know, turbines, et cetera, and then the batteries and the solar panels. I mean, the disposal thing, these turbines are all made of very toxic chemicals and um, they're just disposed of and left, even though the 
um, companies say they're going to recycle them and everything, but they don't. And then you get toxic things leaching into uh, waterways, etc. very environmental. Um, and the other thing is that um, the materials that make these things are mined in places like Bolivia, Congo, etc. and those mines are generally owned by the Chinese. That's where a lot of the money's going. Under child labour and, and women with babies on their backs in lithium Correct. mines that are highly toxic. Yep. And then so you've got the gas thing, you know, the gas ban coming out. You've got this unstable energy from these turbines. What's going to happen? Blackouts. There's going to be no stable power for people. Because, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that, yep. Social credit systems where if you're like us and have a wonderful show like you're missing the point podcast, selfless pun, um, you would end up being turned off because you have the wrong think and your credit score is down because you dared question our dear leader, Daniel Andrews, good friend of the show. And if you question his authority, you lose your power for a week or you kind of, you can no longer drive your car. Yep. Yep. And you got to wait till the end of the month to get some points back or whatever, as long as you don't say anything bad in the process in the meantime. Yeah. That's me screwed. Yeah. Might as well become a hobo. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm trying to learn how to grow food for a reason. It's not because it's fun. <laughs> it is fun, but <laughs> there's, a, there's more of a driving force than fun. Yep, definitely. Figure out all the kinks now while you can. That's you exactly right. You don't right. want to put a crop in and have half of it fail when you need it. Yep, that's exactly right. This brings me to another issue that's happened in Victoria. Cash for clunkers, Victoria style. Unsafe, too safe. Any car under six, over 16 years or older is now deemed unsafe. And the state government under its wonderful initiative is willing to give people $5,000 to put towards a new car. few caveats there. You don't get the $5,000 in your hand. The dealership gets it if they apply for it. So all that's going to happen is all the dealerships are just going to instantly put their prices up by five grand. They're easily going to get the money. On top of that, you're getting a brand new car, which needs about five diagnostic tools to figure out what the problems are. Uh, Sensors and windshields, a windshield replacement, that can be upwards of $5,000. The servicing on brand new cars is astronomical and so in-depth, the average mechanical, mechanically-minded person cannot do it. You want to play devil's advocate here with you, mate? I was thinking about this the other day, and there's a, a thousand great points that you make, and I agree with all of them. I'm actually probably going to come across a bit funny, but I'm actually not against the idea of upgrading cars to a degree, simply because... I've been to places where some of these cars are that old and that outdated, you get frigging tetanus touching the door. Now, I'm I'm absolutely not against not against upgrading cars. However, once again, when you look into it a bit deeper, it's the how and why of it that's the problem. Now I I, I will relate this back to fridges. Myself being a fridge mechanic. My wife gets a shits because I will never buy a new fridge. She hates it. Oh, I want a new fridge. I want one with this. I want that. No. Every fridge in my house, I can go and fix from any spare parts place, any old fridges, I can fix it. Never have to buy a new one. Same as you in cars. So I'm actually, I'm with you about 99.9%. There's that 0.1% that I can go, okay, not such a bad idea, this little portion of it. And you know what? I'm I'm not completely against it either 
if it's means tested mm. and it's being run properly and accurately. We all know there's shit boxes out on the road that are dangerous, that have never been serviced, that you see the exhaust dragging behind the car on the highway. <laughs> yeah. There are cars out there that exist. Like mm. you said, you can get tetanus from touching them. But if there are cars that are that little bit older, like God, VE Commodores are going to be considered old and dangerous within a couple of years. If they've got the all the, the bells and whistles of that time, airbags, stability control, all the things that modern cars have, and it's up to date, it's being maintained well, how is it dangerous? And I think that's where the conspiracy-minded part of me just runs with it and, and looks at all the potentials that could come from it. But you're right. If it was means tested, it'd be fine. I wouldn't even call that a, a conspiracy-minded thought, mate. That's just a, a logical assumption. You know, like if we've all had old cars. Should I had a HX Holden U? Had a new motor in it, new seats. It was magic. But that would not pass that test. And so, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm that 0.1% of me is like, mm, I can actually see a reason, but there's 999 other ones that I don't agree with. Yeah, and I mean, that if we go from this year, that takes us to 2007. Now, I know there's a lot of people, as you say, Drew, you said 16 years, didn't you? Yes. Drew? Yeah. Yes, 16 years. Is that actually in yet or is it being brought in? Uh, it's a trial program at the moment and they're getting trial. people to sign up to it. Yeah, right, okay, and they're probably all lining up to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's 2007. Now, I mean... Our, my car, well, our car, I share one, um, I think it's about 2002, something like that. It's been main, 2004, I think it is. It's been maintained really well. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Um, regular cheats, blah, blah, blah. Um, but what I feel is happening here is it's not going to, it's only going to be a very few short years until as, as it goes on, you know, if we go 2005, 2008, whatever, it'll eventually become where everything's an EV car, won't it? Yeah, or because, a hybrid of some description. Yeah, exactly. So I guess maybe that's possibly where they're trying to push it um, more into the alternative power type vehicles, which again is going to make them a crap load more money. Uh, yeah, that's sort of what I feel maybe. Yeah, I, I'm probably running on this because I had a conversation with um, Ron from the Wicked Planet podcast this week. He had a call and we were talking about it because they had the cash for clunkers in the States and he ran all the way down the end of the road conspiracy with me. You know, that's just a means for them to switch your cars off remotely, which a lot of the brand new cars have the potential to do. You can shut them off remotely. Yep. Um, the, the better not the technology, the, the better the technology gets, the worse it gets. So, yeah, it's, it's back not, into control, isn't yeah, it? It's not hard to go the the completely black pilled route on anything a government does, and I think that's the scary part of what we're seeing with the voice and with treaty. The we always go to the worst assumption, and I think it's for good reason for people within our mindset who can logically think about things and, and ask questions. Well, you scale it back from that point, don't you? Mm, exactly. exactly. Yeah, and if anyone's familiar with um, Yuri Bezmenov, who was the KGB defector, who actually in, I think it was 1982 or something, was um, basically warning of the steps um, it takes to get, you know, it, I mean, it's an extraordinary short amount of time to, take the control of the narrative it's two to five years or something to sort of basically bring down a nation and you know one or two generations to completely brainwash and change a thinking um it's that was 40 years ago he was talking about that Mm. so 
you know, it's all these steps and you, you're seeing them all slot into place, like lockstep, you know. Um, this is all part of it. It's all fitting in. It sure is. It's hard to sort of see the bigger picture unless unless you're aware of all these agendas, et cetera. It's, if you're aware of them, you can step back and see the bigger picture. But if you're not, you kind of get stuck in the, the here and now and you can't really see too much in the future because unless you sort of study history, you can't really understand what's in the future, can you? So, um, yeah, it's just by being aware of what has happened uh, to be aware of what might be coming. Yeah, we almost need our own. If we need our own mission creep, don't we, Wade? We need our own culture blocking yeah. and subtly sow the seeds of the destruction of the world agenda that, that's happening. I don't think we can just destroy it overnight. And if we can be successful, it has to be done, unfortunately, just as slowly. Because the only yeah. way that you could topple such a thing would be by violent means. And I don't think anyone actually pushes for violence. No one wants to do that. So you kind of no. have to play their game and do the mission creep themselves and culture block them at every turn. That's what, that's what I think. Like someone, someone always says to me, well, "What do, what do you keep? What do you keep telling people this sort of stuff?" I'm like, well, mate, if I can just get one guy or lady or no, there is no or, <laughs> get to turn around <laughs> and say, "Holy shit, you actually make a good point." I'm like, well, don't listen to me. Go and read it. And if you can find that stuff that I'm talking about, then you know that maybe I wasn't wasn't telling fabled stories and if you can get one person to wake up you go hey listen because it's the you know that one person then starts talking to 30 other people and if they can just get one because over time it's it's a very long process for that to happen and they tend to have a lot quicker means than we do but i think that's the only way it's got to happen because like you said no one wants violence no one yeah that's yeah, you've just got to wake people up one person at a time because there's no other way to do it. Yeah, that's the ripple effect. And, I mean, even if it's not to the to the extent where they actually go out and start talking to other people, even just to get them thinking in a different way because we are, like, and I'm not excluding myself here, we are programmed people. We have been programmed all our lives pretty much. Um, and for some reason... Some of us have been able to break away and see things for how they are. I don't know exactly what, why that is, why why we can see it and they can't. It's a spiritual thing, I believe, but let's that's another show. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just being able to get people to break out of the, um, the endless loop of indoctrination and step outside that circle and just see things from a different angle. That's, that's – I mean, Yuri Bezmanov, again, <clears throat> um, sorry uh, – said basically it takes a couple of generations for them to take control and it's going to take a couple of generations for us we it's it's education he said that that is the answer but that's a slow thing so that's it's almost like well the race is on it's funny how they call it the human race because that is what we're in right now it's like this human race it's sort of good versus evil you know in one sense yeah Let's let's close this show out with a little bit of healthy speculation because it's less than a little over two weeks now since we last spoke and we're here again. Things are happening very fast with the voice in Australia. So let's have let's hypothesize, give a little prediction on where we think it's going. I'll give you mine first. I think they're going to get that desperate that the percentage on yes is going to plummet to maybe thirty eight, thirty nine percent yes maybe 35, it'll get to that low. And 
they'll attach to the referendum whether Australia should be a republic. It'll be a double referendum because they know that a lot of people out there would prefer that Australia is not part of the Commonwealth and is its own self-determined country. If you attach that to the voice, I think it has a higher chance of getting up. So my little prediction might be very out there is that they'll make it a double referendum. Wow. Okay. Mm. <laughs> That's like dropping a nuclear bomb on top of another nuclear bomb. That's I like mean, my hundred and what hundred to one bet. What could happen? Okay. Bet yeah. Me. All right. Fair enough. I think that would be enough to really shoot themselves in the other foot as well, because they've already shot themselves in one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. And part of me just wonders, this is the really suspicious Stella. Um, sort of was this kind of a big planned lie? Because I just I don't know. Look at Albanese and his the part that he's playing. I, I just wonder where this all slots in because this isn't an accident. I don't think in the big big picture, the big agenda. So I just I just yeah, I've watched this space basically. Um, things will become clearer in time. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to make predictions. I just Drew, I'm just going to watch. Drew, you sent that to me. What two days ago? I did. Yeah, and I actually couldn't respond because. One, I was asleep, and two, the next day, I'm like, that actually really scares me because at the moment, people people don't know and give a shit about the Australian Constitution, hence why the yes vote is still as high as it is, right? What frightens me about that is should that republic uh, referendum go ahead and people vote for it? Now, I'm very, I fucking hate the monarchy, yet I can see there's something with it that holds us to not going down the complete shit shoot as at the minute. So I can see a necessary evil of just having it there for the time being. I don't like it, but it, I think it, at this point in time, it's a necessary evil because if the republic gets up, you have idiots like that Peter Fitzsimmons and his fucking red bandana. <laughs> the, the laws and shit that they will try and put in place will be the most idiotic things you or I or Stella could possibly imagine. So literally some of the dumbest shit that comes out of that guy's mouth and his friends frightens me for the, the constitutional shit that they would put in place would be a thousand times worse than what we currently have. Now, I don't like the system we currently have, but at this point in time, it's a necessary evil to stop us going to that next shit show that would come with that. And that, that, that actually, that actually frightens me more than anything. So, um, I was trying to work out how to word that when you sent it to me. I'm like, oh, I might just leave that. <laughs> and, it's sort of like the lesser of two evils, um, which is, yeah. Weird. Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, I think that's probably, like I said, I don't like the monarch. Um, I don't like what they stand for. But I think that we need to cling to it for a little bit longer, um, stop things going a lot further more rapidly than what they, they possibly could. So I'm, I'm – fuck, go the monarchy. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, just thinking about this, I feel like um... – I feel like we possibly are under the illusion of choice because, uh, I mean, no, we know that given. anyway generally, but here, um, like we're sitting here talking about which is the lesser of two evils, I feel like it doesn't matter which one 
which way it goes because if we stay as a um, under the crown, look at what Charlie is. I mean, he's one of the biggest, you know, WEF fan boys. Um, he's pushing the whole climate thing. He's like the head of the – well, he's not really the head of the snake, but he's he's up there. Um, and yet if we go the other way and become a republic, then it's still not really where we want to be, is it? It's not – so either choice sucks. I think it just dictates. Well, which... I want choice number three. Yeah, <laughs> I think it just dictates what playbook they go with. If it's if it's Plan A, it's a shit show in three years. If it's Plan B, it takes ten years to happen. Yeah, exactly. They... And they've got you know four sort of bases covered. Really, they've got um, the playbook for each scenario. So that was my idea, Wade, and, and we've spoken before that. Yeah, I think you had two possible ideas of where this could be heading with the voice that either. They postpone it to a later date until they get the hype and the build-up that they want, or it just gets taken down completely. Which of those two options do you think is more plausible? Uh, well, I think the I think the second one is more plausible because they're running full steam into it now. If they pull back, it it's going to show severe weakness of anything of that. Now, I believe they'll continue to push it forward. I actually believe that the voice itself, the referendum, will fail. Albanese will fall on his sword. Tanya Plibersek becomes PM, and we go to an even bigger shit show, and she will legislate the shit out of it. Great. Socialist Barbie was a yeah. prime minister. How wonderful. Yeah. That's, you know, I, think, I think I've told you that before, where Plibersek will end up the PM. I, I think that's, that's the most obvious scenario. So I, I think more... Albanese will continue to run headstrong head into the referendum because he's a fucking narcissist with a lisp and he will continue to go that route because he, he doesn't have the, the nous to pull back on it and I think that it fails. He will... The, the, the Labor Party could not let him survive, survive that. They simply couldn't. And everyone's saying that Bill Short... No, no, it's Plibersek. She's the face of everything right at this moment and they will march her up the first, well, not the first, the second woman prime minister, second Labor prime minister as a female, champion all these rights and all that sort of crap, and that's she'll legislate the shit out of it. She's yep. the woman behind the man, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She sort of showed her colours fairly recently on the northwest of Tasmania a few months ago, the um, rainforest down there. She was invited to go and have a look at the area of, you know, these rare animals, etc., where there was a Chinese mine and they wanted to do something to it. I can't quite remember what, like expanded or something like that. Um, and Bob Brown was down there and he wanted her to, you know, come and have a look. And she sort of, she went as far as so much and she didn't really do anything, didn't look at the actual area where Bob Brown wanted to show her where this rare, I don't know, owl or whatever it was. Um, and she ended up just basically having dinner with the mining companies. So, I mean, that just, you know, it's speaks volumes. She, she's totally on board with this whole environmental green agenda thing. I have no doubt about that. Well, I mean, she can she can keep approving mines in Queensland all she likes. It's great. I love it. She's just approved the extension of two the extension of two mines in Queensland to double their size, and approved a new one six months ago. So yeah. you can't tell me that they're not double dipping. Yeah, they're they're yeah. closing them down in Victoria and opening up and extending ones in the north. And it's the illusion of that they're doing something at a, yeah. at a federal level when they're not. Yeah, they'll tell you about the ones they closed, but they're not telling you about the ones they're opening or extending. Yeah, 
well, the the reason the reason they extend them in Queensland is because the throughout Central Queensland, the mining unions and Labor, I don't think they've lost lost a Labor seat there for oh decades, decades because it's just full of full of mining throughout Central Queensland. So keep the miners happy, keep their votes coming in. We'll extend a couple of mines there, approve a couple, and then we'll keep the the socialists left happy elsewhere. Yeah, which is yeah, which is funny because in Victoria they're turning on the unions in these fields like logging um and the mining sector around here. People in regional areas where these these industries are, they vote Labor and they're finding that their livelihoods are being shut down in Victoria. It's almost like Victoria is the is the ideal example for the green agenda and they don't give a shit about the workers who for their traditional voting base. Yeah, because, yeah. well, I suppose, I mean, they're not really relying on votes, are they? Because all these people have been placed. It's This mm-hmm. is infiltration. These are placed, selected people. Um, it's way above Australian government now. I mean, it has been for a while, but it's fairly obvious. <laughs> <laughs> these are just puppets. I mean, follow the strings. <laughs> and ironically, it's usually a string with money on the end of it, like a cartoon <laughs> where you're reeling it in and they're firing it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Cat- this has been a fantastic conversation. We'll have to, no doubt, do it again soon, the way things are changing. But <laughs> Stella, where can we find your work? Uh, Union of the Unknowns you can find me on, which or Not Your Mama's News, which is pretty much the same crew. Um, and it seems occasionally I'm going to be joining Brad Binkley on the Propaganda Report. Um, yeah, and also Easy Peasy Podcast occasionally. And awesome. sometimes here with you. Yeah. <laughs> Wade, thanks for coming on, mate. Um, joy to speak to you as always, even though we talk more on text messages and Twitter and Instagram, <laughs> but it's always good to see your face. Thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure, Hank. See you later. See you, see guys. you guys. You have a good Bye. night. Hey, everybody. It's closing time. You don't gotta go home, but you can't stay here.